Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You're listening to Work Thrive, a podcast for entrepreneurial women redefining the meaning of work. And I'm your host, Katie Glenn. In each episode, you will hear candid conversations with female founders, movement makers, and thought leaders to help you navigate success on your own terms. So let's get started. Hey guys, we are back with yet another episode. And today in the guest chair, we have style and beauty influencer, Chrissy Millar. Chrissy entered the world of content creation back in 2014 when, let's be honest, most of us didn't even know what content creation was. Since then, however, Chrissy has worked with major brands such as Converse, Glossier, Misguided, and more. In this episode, Chrissy details her content creation journey from starting on YouTube to landing deals with industry leading brands. We talk about what it takes to be an influencer, how to clarify and define your personal brand, how to navigate negotiations with brands, and of course, Chrissy's new ebook, So You Want to Be an Influencer, which details practical steps to build a brand that expands your reach, engages your community, and obviously diversifies your income. I really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we both did. I think the first thing I want to go through is your journey with content creation. So how did you start or begin your journey with content creation? Sure. So I started, well, to be fair, I've always loved, like gravitated towards cameras, media in school. Like that was always my favorite thing. Like I remember in year seven, I saved up to get like a DSLR camera because I wanted to do photography. And then I would always like watch YouTube videos and watch people online do amazing, amazing things. And then in year 11, I finally 
strip up the courage to start my own channel. And from there, it's really just been me sharing. I think when Instagram came out, I wasn't really a big fan. I was like, this is a weird app. Why are people sharing pictures of themselves? And after a while, I really got into it, like got into it so much to be an influencer. So that was kind of my start with content creation. And how did you build from that? Because now you've worked with the likes of Glossier and Misguided. How did you go from, okay, I've started this channel to I'm now able to leverage my influence to work with these kinds of organizations? Yeah, so I think initially when I started, I didn't know the capabilities that the internet had. It was really just, I wanted to share everything I was doing. I remember when the natu- I found the natural hair community and I just wanted to share with people my natural hair journeys. That was pretty much what my first videos were. And in all honesty, I just kept being consistent with it. Like there was no intention. There was no end goal. There was no, mm. I want to be this big, amazing person it was literally just a consistent amount of sharing. And eventually people started asking for more. And as I started to navigate it, I realized that there was more capabilities because I think a brand reached out to me at one point. I thought, oh, okay, so you guys see me as one of those type of influencers. And it wasn't until then that I realized that this could actually be a thing. Because I remember my first round of videos, people were saying, oh, you should monetize this. And I was like, okay, but what does that even mean? Like, what is this? I wasn't aware at all about the business side of things. And I think that's one of the things that I wanted to speak about in the book, because a lot of influencers, they start, they don't really know what they're capable of or what can be made from this. Mm-hmm. And if I had known earlier what was possible, I would have been further ahead. Yeah. But I'm glad I was on the journey that I was on so that I could teach other people that, okay, look, this is what you can do. Start early. Mm. And at what point, did you because you mentioned that a brand messaged you how early or how I guess late into you creating content did you have someone reach out to you to say oh we would like to partner with you oh my gosh it was years <laughs> um, so I started in, <laughs> I started in 2014 and the first time a brand reached out to me I believe it was at the beginning of 2016, but that wasn't like paid. That was just to share their product with me. My first paid experience was, I believe that wasn't until 2017. So three years in until three years of free work before I realized that there was a paycheck at the end of this. And how often were you creating content? Like how often were you sharing content on the internet? So literally between 2014 and 2017, I shared content on a weekly basis and I did not stop. I didn't stop until I think 2018 was when I took a breather, but literally between 20, looking back, I have grown up on the internet, like going back to my videos Mm. when I remember sharing, Oh, I'm going to turn 16 soon. I'm going to turn 17 soon. Oh, my 18th birthday was last week. I'm just like, I'm 22 now. (laughs) I like, I scrolled all the way down to the hair shave situation. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, how, how incredible that you've been doing this so consistently for so long. I want to talk about your own personal brand. So you said that you started with the natural hair community, but I've also seen you obviously work with Converse. So there's this fashion icon that's going on. How did you niche down or decide on what your personal brand was going to be? So I went from, I think when I started sharing, it was always a reflection of 
what my personal interests were. When I started my natural hair journey, I was obsessed with it. I watched like 15 videos a day, do six different hair treatments a day. So it only felt <laughs> oil treatment every single time. My hair, oh, it would take up so much of my time. But it was just a natural reflection of what I was interested in. And I just felt compelled to share that. After that, I got bored of my natural hair and I switched to style content because I just love styling outfits and that's what people so sharing whatever people are interested in and whatever I was interested in at the time. And eventually, I think as I've grown, like my identity switch between what I'm showing online is, like, is a reflection of what I like at the time. And I think for a while, as I said in the book, if I knew what I was capable of from the beginning, I would have niched down earlier. But mm-hmm. it's a thing where I was just sharing my personal interests. And now it's one of the things that stayed consistent between then and now is my style. So when mm-hmm. I decided that I need to put a strategy to this, I said, okay, this is what we're picking because this is something that I know I'm never going to get tired of. This is something that literally keeps me excited. And for a while, I got lost because I'd been on the internet for so long that mm-hmm. I just didn't know what I wanted to do anymore. So I think in 2018, between 2018 and 2019, I kind of just stepped away from it for a while. I said, mm-hmm. okay, if I'm going to do this again, how do I do something that I know is going to carry me through regardless of how I'm feeling. And I said, style mm-hmm. is something that always excited. So I had to bring it back to my roots of what I was originally interested in. Mm-hmm. And when I made the decision to completely define my personal brand as style and focus on that, like everything changed for me. Because mm-hmm. I've been doing this for so long, unintentionally, I didn't really understand it. But once I made the decision to kind of sit down and decide to be intentional about having a personal brand, it literally, you don't understand, Katie, it changed, like it completely yeah. changed up until 20, I want to say we're in 2020 now, mid 2019 or mid 2018. I didn't know what I wanted. And this is why this is, becomes the first chapter of the book, because if I had known earlier, then maybe these things could have happened early, but I'm completely okay with that. It's just that now that I know, I, like the business side of things completely changed because I was so intentional about it. Yeah. And so one of the things that I get a lot and I've obviously I've come to you you know in trying to build my own personal brand is that question of okay I have several interests how do I decide which one is or should embody my personal brand I know that there is someone probably listening there who thinks okay yeah Chrissy I have all these interests though how do I decide and how do I really navigate this personal brand situation what is it what is a personal brand how do I get there how do I intentionally put that in description and so my question is what exactly is a personal brand and how do we niche down to build one so I think a definition of your personal brand would be the first thing I'm going to say is that it's a reflection of you it's your attitudes your interests your behaviors but it's also how you present that to the world So based on that definition, you have a decision to make. Mm -hmm. How do you want the world to see you? What do you want to be known for? Mm -hmm. What do you want people to remember you for? And what do you want people to recommend you for? I think anytime I decide that some, like there's there's a lot of parts to me, more parts than style and natural hair, but Mm -hmm. some parts I'm not comfortable speaking about just yet. So I haven't chosen that side. The parts of me that I'm excited about, that I'm excited to share, I also feel comfortable speaking about those are the sides that I can use as a way to navigate the brand that I share online then you have Mm -hmm. to narrow those down okay how well can I communicate content 
from this side of me because there's parts of you that are great you might love traveling for example but maybe you don't travel that often and you don't have money to travel then it's a difficult one to navigate think about things that you're excited to share and that you can communicate well online that's amazing and what exactly did you do in that you know you said you took okay you took was it 2018 between 2018 and 2019 to really double down on that niche was there anything particular that you did or any particular conversations that you had that really helped you niche down okay style is where it's at or did you go okay I've always enjoyed style and this is the thing that excites me the most and I'm just gonna run with it you know because style is like this really big thing it could be luxury Mm -hmm. it could be high street it could be thrifting there's so many different ways that you can become a style expert and a style influencer how did you decide that high street was the place that you were going to be yeah I think for me again it just comes down to I wanted something that because I was so lost at the time I thought okay let's just simplify this because it's so easy to ask yourself all these like great big questions about who am I I? what's my personal brand I thought okay like for now forget all of that Mm. what do you love what got you here in the first place? What did you start with that pushed you to keep going? And yeah. that was the only answer. So for me, I thought, okay, let's go back to that and just go with the flow and see how it goes. And since then, literally I've worked with some amazing brands and I haven't been more excited to create content in a long time than I have now. And that's literally because I've been following the steps that I wrote about in the book. Yeah. And when we think about personal brand and we think about influencer, the go-to platform is Instagram. Let's be honest. It's like, that's where pretty much everyone who is an influencer of any kind or have any sort of personal brand, that's kind of where we find a lot of our content creation. So Instagram or YouTube. And I think especially in this day and age, it's really hard, or at least people will say that it's quite hard to build a following. Because, you know, we do think we need to have hundreds of thousands of followers to be an influencer. And that's probably one of the myths that we need to debunk because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not, you said it in the book, it's not true. Engagement is actually much more important than followership. But in Mm -hmm. the same token, that is also attractive. Having quite a lot of followers in one way is quite attractive to brands. What are some top tips that our listeners could take to build their followership what is like the number the top three things that they need to do to build that followership okay so number one I'd say remember that Instagram I speak about this book as well remember that Instagram is a visual platform people follow what they see before you have a chance to explain who you are and why people should follow you they're going to see who you are think about the type of content that would grab the eye. So whether that be your style influencer, you're a travel influencer, you're a food influencer, think about pictures in a way that would attract people to it. I know that sounds really shallow and like you're selling yourself, but it, it boils back down to Instagram's a visual platform. Before people can see anything you have to, sh- before people can hear anything about you, they see what you have to share. So think about how you can present your content in a way that's pleasant to the eye. That's number one. Number two is consistency. I get tons of DMs, tons of DMs per day. People saying, 
how did you become an influencer? This is what I want to do. I don't know how to do it. I feel like I've been doing it for a while. And then you check their profiles and they haven't posted in two to three months or every other post is once a month. And mm. of course, you should not feel tied down to a platform, but the priority of building a personal brand or building any type of brand is that people have to see you to remember you. There's tons of content being shared online per day, tons. And if you don't remind people that you exist, or that your content is worth seeing, then they won't remember you because no one owes you anything until you've proven your point or it said, okay, this is why you should follow me. No one cares. Yeah. But you have to submit yourself. You have to promote yourself. You have to put yourself out into the world and let people know that you're there. Yeah. Then number three, okay, so I went for visual consistency and value. Okay, so this is one of the things that I have used to kind of navigate my content in the last... I want to say last few months, I think for a while, again, my brand was built in a way where parts of it was very unintentional. And then when I realized what you could do if you're intentional about it, I completely changed how I saw my content. Ask yourself, what value can you add? I'm going to use Work Thrive as an example. <laughs> Work Thrive <laughs> has grown immense. Like it's, I go on the page once a day, I'm just like, wow, like this is amazing. What you have done is amazing. And Thank that's you. because you've added so much value consistently. So people go on your page because it helps them in some way. Every time they go on your page, there's something to save, there's something to share, there's something to send to a friend, there's something that resonates with them. When there's value added, people will submit you into their lives because you've, you've helped them in some way. You've become a part of them. And Instagram's a social platform. While it's great to make it about you and share things about you, people want things that's essentially going to help them. When it comes to my content, every time I create something like, okay, style, it's about personal style, but again, how can I help someone improve theirs? So if you look at my YouTube videos, a lot of the content starts with how to, because mm. my main focus is adding value to someone else. And those are my three ways. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> absolutely amazing. I mean, especially the second and third thing, I mm -hmm. always hear that consistency is king because a lot of the times people start things and, you know, especially in a generation where it's very microwavable, you know, we want it ASAP, we want to win right mm -hmm. now, we want all the followers right now, we want, you know, the money, all that stuff, we want it and the success right now. But, you know, history has kind of proven that if you do something over a period of time consistently, it will add up. And I think that's certainly one of the things that I've learned in building work drive. Like when I consistently engage with my audience, I see a return on my investment. And exactly. at the same time, that value added, people go to every single Instagram brand or every single personal brand or every single influencer that exists, people go to them because they add a certain value to their, their Instagram or their social experience. So you mm -hmm. see the likes of yourself, that's that style. You see the likes of, you know, whether that's girl bosses, you know, okay, they give us a sense of this is what you need to do if you want to get to the next level. Or there are so many different, we see our mom influencers, our food influencers. I, there are so many recipes I've got from Instagram just because I've just gone there to see yeah. all the pages that I follow. I'm like, okay, I'm going to try that recipe. And sometimes people get caught up in the, well, I want to be an influencer versus I want to offer something to someone else. Yes. And you break that down very well in, in your book about the need for adding value because 
you know, it's one thing to just show up just because you want to be there. It's a whole different ball game if you show up because you want to add value and you want to help someone become exactly. a better version of themselves or exactly just enjoy their experience or their life just a little bit more. One yeah. of the things that I wanted to touch on is how we live in a very social world per se, and it's very easy for when you're building a platform to compare yourself to the next person. We see all the time, you know, I've been working on my brand for how many years and I'm still behind or, or seemingly behind or, you know, I'm trying to do things or I'm trying to build a brand, but I can't seem to get where I'm going. And so that allows comparison to sneak in. And one of the things that I talked about in the previous episode is how comparison can hold us back and how we can yeah. deal with it. But especially in a very social world on a very platform-based and platform-driven role and you know the kind of influencership that you have how do you deal with comparison and have you ever had to deal with comparison when it comes to being an influencer and content creating oh my god yes comparison is like one of the I feel like it's one of the three pillars of struggles for like influencers because it's such a visual platform. It's a social platform. It's one of those things where your day is spent looking at what other people do. So there, you can't avoid it. And I think it's really important that you have a mindset that can handle what's to come when it comes to social, because I mean, we all want to work hard and we want to see, we want that to like be reflected in whatever we deem is successful. So whether that be if you're on Instagram, followers or brand deals, and then you might look at some influencers who are growing way faster than you. You've been doing this for much longer. It's just like, okay, well, I'm obviously doing something wrong. Like, yeah, that feeling can eat away at you. And I do touch on this in book as well, because I felt like even though I wanted to teach people about becoming an influencer, there's a responsibility there to let people know that, okay, the internet is great and mm. images are fantastic, but you have to take a minute for yourself and realize that this isn't as straightforward as you think it is. There'll be times where you're just like, what even is the point? Why am I even doing this? And that will mainly be because you see someone else getting something that maybe you thought that you worked hard for, whatever it may be. And one of the key things that I do when it comes to looking at other people, I've taught myself that everyone is on their own journey and mm -hmm. what's for them is for them what is for you is for you and what's for you will never miss you mm. you can't constantly be looking at the other side and wishing you were them because they're them for a reason and you're you for a reason focus on what you have focus on what you've built and nurture that i think mm. especially when it comes to things like followers or like numbers it's really easy to get caught up in growing a bigger following or getting bigger when it's like you have to nurture the community that you have because they're the ones that are propelling you up to get to your next stage. Don't focus on what's not there. Focus on what is there and feed that, nurture that, grow that and stop like nothing else matters outside of that. Mm. And that point that you've made is so important because I think we get so caught up in the next thing and we want a bigger following and we want a bigger audience. And yeah. one of the things that I've learned, especially from you, is that you feed the audience that's there. You know, you dance with the person that brought you to the party and yeah. your current audience, they are there and they're the ones that's going to propel you forward. And exactly. I think sometimes we get so confused about what the next step is that we don't really feed 
the current audience, you know, and mm-hmm. that's where the influencership starts. And one okay. of the things that I want to touch on actually is, you know, you do say that there is responsibility that comes with being an influencer. And I don't think a lot of people understand that break mm-hmm. that down for us what is that responsibility what does it mean to be an influencer what are we missing you know from the average person we look at someone and think oh yeah but what is the weight or the responsibility of influencership this is a hard one to like articulate because i think it completely having a lot of people see what you do or a lot of people watch what you do a lot of people look up to what you do is incredibly Mm. incredibly powerful and you have to while it's great to look good or to you know promote whatever it is that you have especially with a lot of things happening in the world right now all it takes is one post to reach a lot of people you could post one picture and you've 16,000 people can see that in the space of two hours yeah that is incredibly powerful how can you use that to make someone else's day better or educate someone on something how can you how can you ensure that your platform is also a space where people know that you're speaking for them yeah like you have to be for the people regardless of what the topic is if it comes down to as again as, as i said in the book i speak about becoming an influencer but then also i speak about the negative impact that can has or how you can control that negative impact because while i'm teaching people how to be this version of themselves it's important that i let them know that it's important that I prepare them for what's to come. Yeah. And it's that living, because people do assume that influencers are sharing their whole lives on Mm -hmm. Instagram. And Mm -hmm. like you said earlier, there are some parts of you that actually never see the internet. And so we kind of jump to these conclusions that, oh, this person is sharing their whole lives just because they have influence in one area. And we have seen time and time again where influencers have been attacked or whatever in one way or another by someone who has their own sort of opinion on how they should be living. How do you deal with the trolls? Because they come, you know, <laughs> and when you have, when you have a greater following, you give yourself mm-hmm. access to a lot more people and yeah. a lot more people to speak about you in a certain way. And that can have negative effects on people's self-esteem and their confidence. How yeah. do you even deal with that? Okay. So there's a certain sense of familiarity when it comes to the internet. Even if you think about celebrities, back in the day, celebrities were like these great gods that we just loved mm. their music or loved how they dressed. But now that we see them on the internet, we kind of see a part of them that makes us feel closer to them. Mm. And that's good on one side, but on the other side, people also feel very comfortable. They feel very comfortable. And it's one of those things where, again, you have to train yourself to deal with certain situations or not deal with certain situations if this were in real life. So I think it's one of those things where you have the right to put people in their place, Mm. but also you have to have thick skin and distance yourself from the internet. Because again, people see a version of you that they want to see. They don't know. Mm. They don't know you. They don't know all of you. So you have to train yourself to remember that this is the internet. This isn't real life. Yeah. Completely. And there's a certain distance I'm going to take. So block and delete are very useful. Very useful <laughs> but also remember to stand up for yourself because sometimes people need to be put in their place. Like that's yeah. literally just. 
Yeah, 100%. I think sometimes content creation or just creators in general can get so overwhelmed with creating. And I've seen it. I mean, I've seen times where I've pretty much seen content creators create similar things. And I think, oh my God, I think I've seen that somewhere else before. And so copying can become quite easily something that happens across platforms and I don't think it's always intentionally done but because creating can sometimes be so overwhelming it's so easy for us to copy something or try to make it our own in a certain way but how important is authenticity when creating content online? This is a hard one because I was having this conversation with my sister the other day about how there's a trend then everyone does the same thing online. That's just how it works. I think for me, there's a difference between copying and something being inspired by. Yeah. I think, especially now, it's really hard for anything to be original. Even yeah. if we think it's original, there's something that triggered that thought in our head. There's something that's triggered that piece of content in our minds. So when you do your, when like however you work, it's important to, um, pay your dues to other creators like if you found something online that you like say okay make it clear that this is inspired by something because while you love the idea there's other people who have worked hard to make that happen so it's so mm-hmm. important give credit where it's due I feel like yeah. a lot of people also, when it comes to being online people don't want to they don't want to share they feel like if someone else gets something then they're losing when yeah. people aren't running out of the amount of people they can follow people aren't running out of the mm-hmm. amount of they can watch give credit where it's due let people know when you've been inspired by something and with authenticity I feel like it's much easier to just create what you already see I feel like that's one of the hardest parts and I didn't realize how I think with content creators I didn't realize so I work in I work in influencer marketing full-time so I'm a full-time social media exec so I see loads of different creators online and we're all in our own in our own like social bubbles. So we mm-hmm. kind of see create look like us, who create content like us. So it's so important to like go outside of what you're used to and find content inspiration elsewhere and twist it into your own. But I think it's so important that you're always giving credit where it's due. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing when it comes to copying. Yeah, 100%. I want to go a little bit more into brand partnerships. And you know, you yeah. said the first time you had someone or you had a brand reached out to you um Mm -hmm. you weren't paid and you know it took you what three years before you were able to get your I guess get your foot in that door really and so one of the things that I've noticed that I see quite a lot of influencers who have I mean incredibly great following but they just can't seem to tap into those great brand deals or those great brand partnerships or you know in your opinion you know what mistakes do you think that influencers make when it comes to pitching themselves to get those brand deals oh okay so I think number one biggest mistake based on that question is that they don't actually pitch themselves Mm -hmm. to get brand deals I think the assumption is that brands just come to influencers offering a massive check, like £5,000, just post a picture on Instagram for me. That's what everyone wants. Mm. And only until, again, so I've been working full-time in influencer marketing for like a while now, maybe a year, coming up to a year and a half. 
And I didn't know this until before I started working. Like I was one of the ones I always thought, okay, like you just sit back and wait for grants to come to you. No, I'm telling you, there is some serious money to be made if you let people know that you are there and that you are willing. I think, to be fair, there's been quite a lot of stigma in the industry. Like you'll see those newspaper ads where these hotel managers or whoever is saying, oh, I'm tired of influencers asking for stuff, which like it's understandable why some of us feel like there's an ego, there's some pride when it comes to asking brand for mm. brand deal. I think it's important that you know the business side of things and you know how to pitch yourself and you know how exactly to word things in a way which makes you appealing to a brand. So yeah. I think one of the things that I think a lot of influencers are missing when like influencers reach out to the brands that I work with is that they don't know how to sell themselves, which is, it's not something you prepare for. Like you might just be a style influencer and that's your side of things, but you're missing out on so much by just not knowing. And there's so much that's possible once you learn that side of things. So it's important that you know how to like do things like create a media kit, how to sell yourself, how to create content that looks good for a brand, how to mm. read your data and present that to a brand in a way that makes you look like someone yeah. that they should invest in. There's so much more to it that I didn't learn until later on. And the thing is, the assumption always was that when you have followers, that's when you just get brand deals. That's just how it works. You get As soon as you get 20K followers, brands will start coming into you. I'm telling you, there are influencers out there with less than 10,000 followers earning a decent amount because they know the business side of things. So I just urge everyone to learn as much as they can about mm. the data side, about the sales side, as opposed to just the content side. Mm. And at what point do you think, like you just said, you know, we always assume that you have to have thousands of followers to be an influencer. Mm-hmm. So at what point should the average person who wants to be an influencer, who want, you know, who enjoys content creation and want to, and they're building a brand, at what point should they start pitching brands? I think once you, you can say that once you have evidence that you've built a community that listen to you, regardless of whatever numerical value that is, you are eligible and capable of pitching to brands, whether that be between a thousand followers to 5,000 followers, you can start. I think obviously it's easy to think that because of everyone, the 10K limits on Instagram being that you have the swipe up, whatever it may be, it's so easy to think that, oh, like you literally just have to wait. But as soon as you can prove that you have a community, you are capable of having a brand deal. At that point, what would you say is the number one step that you should make when you're about to pitch a brand? I think before you get there, it's important to look at what the brand is already doing. Mm-hmm. Because there's so many brands out there and we want all of them to say yes to us. But you have to actually ask yourself, okay, is this a right fit for me? Because I've done it before where I've reached out to a long list of brands I've had. And then some of them get back to me and was like, wait, this isn't something I want to do. Like, why, why did I even go there? Like, it's so mm-hmm. easy to just think of it as like a game. Like, okay, let me pitch and hope they say yes. Think about, do you actually align? Because the, the more easily that you align, the more easily they can see that you align the better and the more of a seamless fit it will be. Because yeah. I could pitch, so I'm a style influencer. I could pitch myself to a, I don't know, a brand that sells gardening things. I, I don't know. Something that sells like gardening items and they might get back to me, but it's like, okay, but now where do we go from here? Like, how do I even make this a seamless fit? Or hmm. you might try and reach out to brands and you wonder why they don't respond or you wonder why they might reject you. And it's just like, okay, but does this align? Think, do you align with the brands? And the first thing is to, to do is to make a list of the brands that you actually align with, because that will be the most seamless integrations that you'll have on your feed. 
Yeah, that brand alignment. And it comes with that conversation we had earlier about value. When you understand what your value is, it's easy for you yeah. to align with brands because you know exactly what you bring to the table, right? Yeah, exactly. One of the things I want to go into is, okay, let's talk money. It's not something we talk about a lot. And we often think that influencers are making top dollar. And there are some that are. How do you even decide how much you should be charging for, whether that's a partnership or a collab or whatever? How do you decide what that uh, pricing point is supposed to be? This has been a tumultuous journey for me. I'm going to share this part, but guys, I've told this story before. I say it in the book as well. My very first paid partnership, the brand asked me how much did I want to charge them? And I told them $50, which is like pennies, absolute pennies, because like I quid. Oh, <laughs> I have never <laughs> if it's even 30 pounds. <laughs> if it's even, guys. Okay, so when it comes to deciding what your prices are, it's I'm gonna be very honest, it turns into a game between brands and influencers. No one wants to say their price first because whoever sets the number sets the game. If I say $50, they're not going to go much further than that. And mm -hmm. if they say a number that I wasn't thinking, say they say 600 and I wasn't thinking that, then they've lost out. So it's a game. No one wants to say it first. I don't think there's a set rate you should have. I think there's this one thing that influencers have called a rate card that shows how much they charge for a certain thing. I personally don't believe in having a rate card because I feel like every brand is different. Every campaign objective is different. And the needs that are required of you will be different. So I don't feel like you can put a set price on it. I think it's important to just have transparent conversation with the, brand, with the brand that you're working with and say, what do you need me to do? And what's the budget that we're working with? Mm. This will then kind of, especially if you don't know how much to charge, this will give you an idea of like the type of numbers to navigate. Because when you start out, there is no way of knowing. No one yeah. speaks about this openly. The influencer industry, it's so new and it's so arbitrary in the sense that people are charging whatever they want mm -hmm. so it's really hard to gauge like a specific number on it so i feel like it's really important at the beginning if you do not know let them know that you're new and you don't know how much to charge for something because it's better to do it that way and just be completely transparent than go into it blind like i did and say mm -hmm. something stupid like 30 pounds <laughs> <laughs> um, and also speak to all the influencers who are in a similar position to you i think we like money is such an uncomfortable topic. Like we don't want to talk about it. We want to pretend it doesn't exist, but it's the one thing that makes the world go round. And if people mm. were transparent about how much they earned, then we'd all be in better places and not be telling brands to pay them $50 for anything. So I think it's just important to be transparent yeah. with whoever it is. Ask for help if you don't know. Even if you don't know someone, find someone with like a similar following to you. Let them know, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. Have you done this before? How much did you charge? Because I just need help. And mm. yeah. Yeah, amazing. We don't talk, you know, especially as women, we don't really have those conversations about money. And it's a shame, really, because there is obvious income gaps um, mm -hmm. in a lot of industries. And still, we struggle to have those conversations. And it's so important that we do. As well as that, how do you navigate the no's? Because you're not going to land every deal. You know, you yeah. have to land every campaign. How do you pick yourself back up after rejection? And you touch on this in the book, which I think mm -hmm. is so important. But share with our listeners briefly, how do you deal with the no's when they do come? Because they will come. The number one thing 
I would say for dealing with no's is to remember they are not personal. There's a reason why you didn't fit this particular campaign. You may have not had follower number that they were looking for because some campaigns that might need a specific type of influencer might just not fit that. And I don't think it should be, it's not something to dwell on. You could ask, you could possibly ask for feedback. I'm like, oh, like, could you let me know like why I didn't fit? Or just like with anything, find out why, or just keep it moving onto the next one. Like it's, it's literally not personal. You just didn't. Mm. I think a lot of the time we want to see no as a validation for why we're not good enough or why something's mm. wrong. When it's like, there's no meaning to it except it just wasn't right this time. Just keep yeah. going. And that's it. Yeah. And final thing on that note is what are some of the greatest myths or like the top three myths people have of influencers at this point? Oh, the number one myths. Okay. So where do I even start? <laughs> that <So> you need, <laughs> there's literally so many, <laughs> that you need flawless skin and to look good all the time to be an influencer. I feel like that's one of the biggest myths. Mm. People connect a lot more with authenticity and being real than they do with looking good. And that's it. If you look at the trend between the top influencers that are doing really well right now jackie i know patricia bright people didn't connect with them because they had flawless skin on the time and they looked great they connected mm. with them because they were real or they felt they saw something in themselves in those creators focus on being real not being perfect number two that it's a super easy job and it's <laughs> the easiest thing that a nine to five working both doing as someone who does both i can tell you now hand on heart <laughs> My nine to five is easier than mm. working freelance because there's a certain sense, and I don't mean to discredit anyone because they're both difficult jobs, don't get me wrong, but w- with working a nine to five, there's security. I know I'm going to go in every day and I know at the end of the month I'm going to get paid and mm. I do my job and I do it well. When it comes to being an influencer, you are literally hustling for work. You're on the side of the street and you're telling someone to pay you. It doesn't come easy. There's a lot more into it than people see. And pictures look great online, but I'm telling you, there's a lot of layers to it that you, it's not as straightforward as you think it is. Yeah. So I wouldn't make the assumption that it's definitely easier than a nine-to-five. They both have their difficulties. And that's that. Number three, I need to have millions of followers to make money online. Absolutely not. I have mm. seen creators with a lot less get paid very well. So you don't need loads of followers to make money online. Yeah, it's just that value, that value add and that consistency exactly. and quality exactly. as well, exactly, isn't it? Yeah. So now we're going to go to the fast five round. I'm going to ask you five questions and you answer yeah. with the first thing that comes to mind. All right? Yeah. Cool. What is a software resource or app that's helped you with your business or work that you'd recommend? The Work Thrive Instagram. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I'm not even going to let you. Next. (laughs) Incredible. Um, You want to tell us why? (laughs) Oh my gosh, guys. I think that it's, I've learned so much of how to navigate myself professionally through the internet. And this is what I'm saying about adding value. Sources that provide something valuable to you will continue to do well. And the reason why I love WorkThrive so much is because I'm listening to 
an amazing person, Katie, speak to amazing people about how they got to where they are, as well as share information about how to do better. And mm-hmm. for that, like, that's just it. There's no, there's nothing greater. Humbled. Thank you. <laughs> What's a personal habit that has helped you in life and work? Oh my gosh. I've been thinking about this and I do not give up. And I want, like, I think about it all the time. Just like, you like, I actually just keep going. My bounce back game is so strong. It's mm. unreal. And I, I love myself for it. That's brilliant. Yeah. That resilience, that resilience game is incredible. Mm-hmm. What is a book, podcast or event that's helped you significantly in the past year? Ooh, I've been rereading Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. I think it's one of the best books on the planet and oh guys I don't, this I, is one with friends because that's that. like my favorite book <laughs> it is an amazing book and yeah. it just it on your journey to like success or wanting to be successful it it pulls out a lot of truths about yourself and how to navigate situations so you don't get ahead of yourself mm. and it's a book that I live by Brilliant. Uh, I love that book. What's one lesson you have learned in the past year that's helped with your professional and personal development? Hmm. One lesson that I've learned, it's not personal. Just keep going. Mm. That's it. Business is business, personal is personal. Yeah. 100%. And finally, what's a word of advice you'd share with women working to cultivate their own thriving career? Do not give up. Mm. Keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. Brilliant. And before I let you go, where can we find you on the socials? On the social, you can find me at Chrissy Milan. You can also find me at chrissymilan.com where my book is available to order. You can also find me on YouTube at Chrissy Milan. <laughs> and you can also find me at the CEO table where I speak about all things personal development. Thanks for listening to Work Thrive, the podcast. If you liked this episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcast, as it allows other entrepreneur women like yourselves to find the show. And if you want to join the community, head over to Instagram at Work Thrive. Speak soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.